Spike Pit loves golems, guys. Awesome job. But do you know what I always think of? Scarecrows. They are creepy as. When I was a kid in the UK, there was a series called Wurzel Gummidge. Now, I don't know if that ever made it across the pond, but in it, there was a guy called the Crow Man, and he used to go from farm to farm making and maintaining all these creepy scarecrows. He was kind of like a... There was this hint or an undertone that he was a magical guy because the kids found out that these scarecrows could come to life and they was always kind of a bit coarse and a bit kind of rural and, and just damn creepy. I can't believe it was a sort of a family show, really. It was quite scary. But really great relationship between the creator and the monster. Awesome stuff. Thanks for calling in, Spike Pitt. Wurzel Gummidge is a scary name on its own. I don't think that ever made it across the Atlantic, but uh, kind of glad it didn't. Scarecrows, great pickup. Uh, we also missed the bronze golem that appeared in Jason and the Argonauts, uh, the one animated by Ray Harryhausen. That's a great example as well. Hey guys, it's Jeff. Uh, I was just wondering about Rust Monsters. Are they just a one-trick pony, or can you make them interesting? Inquiring minds. Hey guys, it's Cody um, from the No Save From You podcast. I am thoroughly enjoying this show, and I was wondering if maybe you could tell us about Rust Monsters. I know Ray has a particular affinity for them, um, but I was wondering if maybe you guys could put your heads together and see what you come up with. All right, thanks guys. Bye. Well, Ray, I think it's high time we took off the armor and delved into the territory of the Rust Monsters. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely time. Of course, we're getting this question because on my Plundergrounds podcast, I have a tagline at the end of the show that says, look out for Rust Monsters. That started out as kind of a joke. I was going to use a different one each week. Um, like be wary of whites or um, beware bugbears or whatever. Uh, and I don't know. I think I got lazy and just stuck with it. And then it became something more for me where I started thinking of rust monsters as things in your life that try to keep you from being your best self um, when the rust sets in, you know. But uh, in D&D terms or in, in fantasy adventure gaming terms, rust monsters have a very special place, I think, in most people's hearts. When Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson got together to create what is now Dungeons & Dragons, they suggested an environment for fantasy adventure exploration that involved both overland and underground adventures, but kind of focused on castles and things under castles. And that is inherited from the Brownstein game that really started it all. Um, if you know your D&D history, there was a, a game run by, uh, I think his name was David Wesley. I know his last name was Wesley, but I forget his first name. Uh, and it was a war game, and it centered around uh, the area of Brownstein, and there's a castle. And it was they kind of fell into playing individual characters, um, doing things in the town, and then, it, then there was a dungeons underneath the castle. Uh, and that's really what gave Arneson... Uh, the idea to start up a, 
uh, you know, a fantasy adventure game at his table and inspired both uh, Arneson and Gygax to create D&D. So having created this idea of dungeons, they needed to explain them somehow. And this gives rise to what many people call Gygaxian naturalism, which is creatures that make sense in the dungeon, as opposed to just taking mythological creatures and shoving them into the dungeon, which happened a lot, um, you know, it may not make any sense. Why would a wyvern be in a dungeon? It flies. I mean, why would it intentionally crawl into a hole um, other than its burrow and hamper its best ability um, or the room to swing its stinging tail or whatever? Um, why would... Uh, lizard folk be in a dungeon? Why would why would any creature be in a dungeon? Well, so Gygax invented some creatures that belong in dungeons. And there's two main categories, I think. One of them is Gygax's cleanup crew, and the other is trap monsters. Trap monsters are things like piercers, which look like uh, stalactites that hang on the ceiling and fall down and pierce you. Um, trappers that hang out on the floor and look like you know, flagstones or whatever, uh, and you walk onto them and they roll up around you and trap you. Uh, mimics that look like treasure chests, uh, which trick you into sticking your hand in their mouths. <laughs> uh, and, and so those are trapper creatures. And then there are the cleanup crew, uh, which are things like the Atyug, which eats offal and um, other detritus. Uh, gelatinous cubes that sweep the halls clean, uh, oozes, other things like that. And so right in between those two creatures is, I feel like, the rust monster. It has probably more elements of a trap monster than a cleanup monster, but I feel like it sort of fits slightly in both categories. The rust monster has been drawn up in a pretty consistent way since the beginning, and it's because when Gygax was making up monsters for the table, and I don't know actually who's responsible for making up the rust monster. I'm going to look that up here in a bit and, and insert that into the podcast. But uh, it came from a plastic creature that was in a bag of what uh, people affectionately now call chinosaurs, um, which are uh, little plastic dinosaurs that were made with, out of very cheap plastics and came out of uh, China in the 60s. And they there was a creature in there that was yellow and orange in color, uh, kind of shaped like a mouse in, in its body shape, but clearly had some scaly armor on top, had uh, whiskers, had kind of springy looking kangaroo legs, had a long tail with a little propeller on the end uh, or, or bone club. And that became the rust monster for Gary Gygax. And it was used primarily as a way of combating the arms race between player characters, and the dungeon. I've had the chance to look up now where the rust monster actually came from, and it was indeed Gary Gygax who made it. He used to play war games on a big sand table in his basement, and uh, if you don't know what a sand table is, it's pretty much what it sounds like. Uh, it's a great big table that has a rim around the edge. You throw a bunch of sand on it, and then you can take the sand and sculpt it into hills and valleys. It's an easy way to make quick terrain. And so here's a quote from Gary Gygax. When I picked up a bag of plastic monsters made in Hong Kong at the local dime store to add to the sand table array, there was the figurine that looked rather like a lobster with a propeller on its tail. Nothing very fearsome came to mind. Then inspiration struck me. It was a rust monster. Um, that is 
from an article by Ed Greenwood called The Ecology of the Rust Monster, which appeared in Dragon Number 88. Uh, was printed by TSR in 1984, and I think it was later reprinted in, um, in an issue, yeah, uh, number 346. Uh, other creatures, by the way, that came out of that same bag of quote-unquote prehistoric creatures <laughs> uh, is the boulet, and I believe Tim Kask invented that one, and he will tell you that it's pronounced boulet, uh, and it looks like a kind of a, I don't know, like a torpedo with a woody body uh, and a kind of a sharky mouth, and then there was also the owlbear came out of that mix. Uh, and you can find pictures of these. I actually have a boulet and a rust monster. I'm still looking for the owlbear. Uh, they're hard to come by. But uh, you can find pictures of these online if you Google a little bit. And so the rust monster, its primary function is to touch the arms and armor, the metallic arms and armor of players and turn them into rust <laughs> to de-equip them, to make them less capable of handling the dungeon. And so, Logan, I think we've come to our first monster that doesn't have a historical or mythological origin of any kind. How does that make you feel? Honestly, it makes me feel great. I actually owned those little plastic monsters before I got into D&D. And when the monster manual came out and I cracked that, I recognized them immediately Finally, something else to do with these other than make them fight my Playmobiles. Oh, I wish I kept those. I really do. I think in a lot of ways, Rust Monsters are actually a symbol for old school play. What I mean by that is, here is a monster that is specifically designed to mess with the party's routine. It shows that old school feeling of player skill versus character skill. The characters are in this particular formation most of the time because that's how to most benefit from their abilities. Along comes a rust monster and the party has to come up with a different solution. The players have to scramble to change the plan. They have to look at their tools and figure out what is safe to use. They have to get those armored characters out of the way if they want to preserve the advantages of their equipment for later encounters. They have to examine the stats to see who can take a hit while the others work on a plan. I've heard critics complain that a rust monster is one of those cheap shots DMs can use to nerf the fighter. I disagree. Rust monsters are delightful creatures that push players to engage rather than just min-maxing those characters and relying on their advantages. They bring the game out of the planning stage and into the here and now. I celebrate that. Rust monsters sort of do have a folkloric tradition. It starts around 1979 and belongs to those people who grew up with the game and have funny stories to tell about the time that they watched someone throw things at the DM for introducing them or <laughs> just all the crazy antics of those early games. What about you, Ray? What personal experiences have you had with Rust Monsters? You are absolutely right to point out that Rust Monsters have a heritage that begins in the late 70s 
uh, that's almost of folkloric proportions. They are an iconic part of what is Dungeons and Dragons. They're still a part of the game. I have encountered them multiple times as a player. I've used them a number of times as a GM. I love them to death. I don't really feel like they need a lot of work to be a good creature. Like you said, they take a party off of their A game. They make them go to different strategies. And I've seen parties be more afraid of rust monsters than they are of what I would think of as much scarier foes. I like to have them spring out from some dark location. I I like to think that their feet, which I mentioned look a little bit like kangaroo feet, um, I like to think that they have a good deal of spring in them so that they can make these amazing leaps. Uh, I also like to think of them as having cricket-like bumps on their legs that they rub together to make cool noises and uh, that they chirp and gurgle like guinea pigs in a happy little pen. Uh, They're just so much fun to imagine, I think. I just, I really love them. And they're so weird. I still wonder where that original plastic monster came from. What was it supposed to be? What kind of creature were they trying to emulate? If it was a dinosaur, what was it? Was it a ankylosaurus? I don't know. It's just so crazy. It feels like somehow it was uh, sent to us <laughs> to be part of Dungeons and Dragons from some strange origin. <laughs> Have you had the chance to use them much in a game, Logan? And if so, did you bother to do any special tricks with them or just introduce them as is? Oh, powers of fantasy gaming. Send us a monster strange and wonderful. (laughs) I love the idea that the rust monster was sent to us as a gift to gaming. (laughs) I have never used a rust monster, but I've faced them many times. In fact, the last time I fought one was in Kazarak during the first Gauntlet Con. If our listeners don't know, Kazarak is one of the excellent adventures Ray gave us in his Plunderground zine. If I were to use Rust Monsters in a game, I think I would try to combine it with environmental hazards. The party is crossing a bridge suspended by chains. Here comes a Rust Monster. The party's defending a castle. The enemy brought their Rust Monsters to wreck the porticolis. Put the party in a room full of pipes that are full of gases and boiling liquids and add some Rust Monsters. Give the party an oversized metal key that they need to get through some important door and bring on the Rust Monsters. Put the party on an airship held together with metal cables and let some rust monsters escape from the hold. The standard rust monster encounter is a straight brawl that forces PCs to shift their tactics. If you make the scene more urgent, they might have to make that hard choice to disregard their precious equipment. I like your idea of getting them to spring around. That would be really freaky. What about you, Ray? Rust monsters in your games? Yes, other than what I've already said about having them make weird noises and jump out of dark places, I think you want to consider that their primary instinct is to congregate wherever there are large piles of unguarded metal. So that makes them a good pest in a warehouse environment or in a mine, Um, makes them want to invade armories or treasure hordes, which then in turn makes me wonder, did my players remember to have their characters store treasure in a rust monster-proof location? Because if they didn't, that would be a good place to introduce them. Uh, your players would get really mad at you for that one. but <laughs> uh, 
And then my mind goes to variants, right? Because like I said, I think the rust monster is a pretty perfect monster and pretty obvious in its use as is. So then I think about ways to maybe change it up a little, change the monster up a little to introduce it in a different and unexpected way. My first thought runs to a change of appetite, um, you know, and ask myself the question, what do rust monsters eat when they can't get metal? But uh, my variant is going to be a change in environment. I was thinking about amphibious rust monsters and possibly this idea that the early form of a rust monster is some kind of larva that morphs into quote-unquote normal rust monsters later in its life. So here's my monster. Rust larva. Horde, tiny, amphibious, corrosive touch. That would be the Dungeon World tags. Uh, Instinct to swarm to metal to feed. And the moves are suck the spikes out of a ship's hull climb out of the water lured by iron, and indicate the presence of underwater ruins. So um, these would be monsters that might attack a, a group that is sailing over water and, and you know cause their ship to sink if left too long on the hull underneath the waterline. I imagine them to be um, in swarms and uh, maybe not much longer than your forearm, you know, kind of a cubit in length. Uh, but a lot of them, so they'd be kind of hard to deal with. Um, easy to kill, but uh, you know, hard to kill with metal weapons and hard to get to because they're below the waterline. Uh, and maybe they, uh, uh, if there's a lot of iron on, on board, you know, they swarm up out over the sides to kind of attack, and then that um, warns everybody what's going on. Or maybe not. Maybe you just hear those noises, some weird scratching noises coming from below, and you go to investigate and find that the bottom of the hull of the ship is just covered in these rust larvae. Um, and I like the idea that they might congregate where um, a civilization has, you know, cast, uh, whether there's under, maybe where there's underwater ruins, where there was a lot of metal to convert, although I think they would eat through that fairly quickly, but also in uh, an area like where people would throw their refuse into the water. Um, so near, uh, and of course, then docks, you know, would be cha- all the chains and um, other iron that uh, is around docks would be a good place for them to congregate. Uh, as far as stats, you know, something relatively innocuous, bite, uh, D4, ignores armor, close, uh, maybe eight hit points as a swarm. So um, rather than representing them as individual monsters, I would say anytime a character hits an individual, it just dies. Um, but uh, it takes maybe eight hit points to get through a, a reasonably sized swarm of them and uh, give them one armor just because the their bigger brother, I think, has three armor and uh, is kind of ha- has a funky shell to it. So there you go. Rust larvae. That's a really great approach. I love it. I really like the idea that they indicate underwater ruins. What a great way to inspire further adventures. Mine are along the lines of your original thought about the changing of the appetite. Mine are called befuddlers. They hardly seem a threat at first. Smallish things with sleek, sparkling bodies like river fish, only scurrying about on awkward legs like possums. Then a bedevilment comes over you. First they nibble on your syntax. You might grasp at words, but they won't go together in sensible ways. When they've eaten that, they'll move on to your large words. You can almost see the joy in their eyes as they savor the best of your vocabulary. If they haven't gorged themselves by that point, they'll munch on your ends and butts, just to have a reserve for the lean times. If you survive the encounter, it'll take a few days to recover your ability to speak or even understand speech. 
Then the true horror will set in every time you fumble for the right word. Is it gone? Did they take it forever? The instinct would be consume language. And the moves are eat into someone's language skills, making spellcasting very difficult. Knock them down with a disgorged ball of filler words. Bring a couple more to the feeding frenzy. Our friend Cody M. was one of several people who asked us to talk about Rust Monsters, so we invited him to supply some variants of his own, and boy did he ever. Hey guys, I have two variations on Rust Monsters for you. Um, the first one is having to do with how they procreate. So I'm imagining that when a rust monster lays eggs, they're more like the sack of a spider than the egg of a chicken. So I'm imagining that, um, you know, when you find them in the dungeon, they're clustered together and you're not quite sure what they are unless you know what a spider sack is. Um, but so if you're not careful and you step on them or you poke it with your blade or whatever, um, they'll explode into this swarm of, um, tiny baby rust monster larva or maybe even just um, tiny rust monsters in swarm form and um, I, I think that uh, much like how baby snakes can't control or don't know how to control the amount of venom that they output I think baby rust monsters are that way with heating iron so my second variation is having to do with what if a rust monster got out of a dungeon and, say, got lost in a forest? And what if instead of just dying of starvation, that it found some way to adapt and uh, started eating wood? Um, and so maybe, like, over generations, the what was once a rust monster evolved into a wood monster. So instead of um, turning metal into rust, it turns wood into mold. Um, and other things into mold. So you have a mold monster. So when you encounter these things, um, anything wooden like your shields and staves become molded and useless. And also your your supplies, um, anything wooden, um, maybe even your holy symbols or your rations and uh, your water supply become tainted from this mold. Those are excellent, Cody. Thank you so much for suggesting that we talk about rest monsters and for chipping in your own variants. I think that does it for this one. We'd like to thank the awesome Derek Howard for making our cool opening music. And uh, to remind you that you can suggest monsters that we talk about and maybe chip in your own variant by contacting us at monsterbrotherspodcast at gmail.com or leaving us a message through the Anchor app. Monster Brothers out. Rawr!